Hello, hello. Welcome to the Kinks and Beatles Daily Deep Dive. This is episode 220-something. I forgot to write it down again. Thank you for joining me, though. Um, It's a pleasure to see you all and um, have you listening. Today we are talking about Life on the Road by the Kinks, released uh, February February 12th, 1977, as the opening track on the album Sleepwalker, which was their first album for Arista Records. Um, The Sleepwalker album was a departure for the Kinks. Arista Records let it be known that they weren't interested in Ray Davies' concept albums. Um, The four preceding concept albums hardly lit up the charts. Um, So the band stripped down their sound and made a legit effort to record a commercial rock album. And in that respect, they succeeded, but the slick recording of these tracks hasn't aged well. as, or as well as some of the preceding albums or the albums that uh, would soon follow. Um, I'm looking at the live feed. I don't know why my video is showing just a still picture. Um, I'm sorry about that. I don't know how to fix it. Um, the band's recording studio, Conk, had recently been outfitted with a 24-track recording console. So that may have played a part in the production standard and the hyper-separation of tracks. Um, And then though they were doing or trying to do a less theatrical sound, the cover for Sleepwalker may be the most theatrical of their catalog. But that's a discussion for a bonus episode, um, which is coming. I will will be posting the date in the event page on the Hero Habit Facebook. Um, But our first bonus episode in March is going to kind of rank and evaluate all the album covers from the Kinks, the Beatles, and their solo uh, projects. So keep an eye out for that. This is a premium um, episode, so it will there will be a small charge to participate and to view it later. Um, very small charge, though. But it does the, that 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 money does help offset the cost of operating this podcast. Um, so yeah, look keep an eye out for that recording for this track um, began in july 1976 but that version um, as well as a few other recordings from that from those sessions was never released Um, the band returned to the studio on october 1st and 2nd 1976 to re-record life on the road uh, as well as a few of the ones that, that they've decided to chuck from the july sessions uh, and the original came in longer than the release version, um, which is hard to believe since the release version is already five minutes long. So it's hard to imagine how much more they could have added to this song. Um, but I'm sure it's out there, and I'm just not uh, aware or remembering it. It was right after these sessions that John Dalton, their bass player, officially quits the band. Uh, He plays on all but one song on Sleepwalker. Dalton didn't want to commit to the touring schedule of the band, which is understandable. Um, But it it still sucks because him leaving, he is my favorite bassist for the Kinks. And his tenure covered my favorite Kinks albums. So uh, I think they lose something when he leaves. I think they lose something else extra when Mick Avery leaves, you know, a few years later. But this is it. These are his last sessions with the band. 
uh, and really the end of the second great Kinks lineup. Uh, as far as the music, this is actually a tough song to analyze. Because, of course, there's a pretty clear chorus. But you've also got an intro that's used later on as a bridge. And um, in the song, the verse is almost like a double verse because the form is all over the place. And it's if you're playing it on guitar, the chords are super easy. Um, we'll talk about that in a sec. But the pattern is different every time he plays it. So instead of saying you've got, you know, an eight bar verse, you've kind of got a verse A and a verse B, and they're very closely related. They're they're very similar in chord structure and harmony, but they don't necessarily go to the same pattern as the as the one that came before it. So it makes it a little bit tough to analyze, but we're gonna we're gonna try to get through it. Um and I think really the only reason this song works as a five-minute tune is the fact that Ray works through so many sections, right? I don't necessarily agree that we needed um, a, 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 a recapitulation of the intro. I think it works fine as just the intro, uh, and that would have cut it down to like four and a half minutes. But just in general, the fact that he goes through all these sections without ever deviating from the key, there's no modulations or anything like that. So to do that... Um, is the only way you can listen to this for five minutes. Otherwise, it would be a very monotonous song. For the most part, the rock part of the song is straight ahead. It's in the key of A. He does borrow a few chords, but nothing crazy. The intro, however, borrows a lot. It opens uh, on an A chord and then shifts to a C-sharp 7. And in this key, it should be a minor key or a minor chord. C-sharp is a minor chord in the key of A. Um, so we'll call that a five of six. It's the fifth chord uh, of the sixth scale degree, which in this case would be um, F sharp. And then um, that makes sense because he follows it with a six chord, F sharp minor. Then he does a five of five to five and then repeats. So you can interpret the little transition lick um, at the end of these lines as a couple quick chords, but for our purposes, I'm just going to call it a transition. Like They're just playing melody to get from one chord to the other. I don't need to analyze it as a separate harmonic structure. So the chord progression is 1, 5 of 6, 6, 5 of 5, 5. It's Let me play it for you. Because it's a good hook. Okay, so we open on that A, and then the C-sharp 7, Right instead of the A to C sharp minor, which is would have still been lovely, but it's not right. Um, so we go into A. That's the one C sharp seven. That's the five of six. Then we have the F sharp minor. That's the six. Then the B seven. That's the five of five. And then the five to E. It's not a totally original chord sequence, um, but it is a great one. And I'm fairly confident in saying that I like any song that uses it. It's very similar to, the, to um, Nobody Knows You When You're Down and Out or Nobody Loves You When You're Down and Out, the Derek and the Dominoes version. Um, I always get that title confused with the John Lennon song that's got the almost identical title where they're doing the... 
that first two chords. That's a one. That's a five of six. So that that it's a great hook, um, and you do see it a lot in like blues kind of influence music. When they get to the I left for a life on my own, is when you get a great hook. And he's doing a D to B7 to E to C sharp 7 to F sharp minor. All right, so it's this. Uh, for those of you into Roman numerals, that's a 4, a 5 of 5, a 5, a 5 of 6, and then a 6. But the hook comes from what notes they're placing in the bass. Because within all these chords is a chromatic line. From D to D sharp to E to E sharp to F sharp. And I know it sounds like I skipped a note, but remember the E sharp is the same as F natural. So it's every note between D and F sharp. And it's a cool little hook. So while you're playing that... You can also add that little bass line. And that adds, that just, it grabs your ear, it pulls you to the next phrase. It's a great little hook. Um, the rest of the song, like I said, pretty much sticks to the key of A, except for those few borrowed chords um, when he re does the refrain of your chorus line. Um, and I know I don't normally, or... I know I normally point out Dave's guitar tone or mixed drumming at this point in the podcast, but I actually want to focus on Ray's vocals because they're really, really good on this tune. When he goes for the high notes, his tone is crystal clear, where a lot of times you can hear in other songs, you can hear him straining in his neck to get the notes out. And a lot of that has to do with the song. There are some songs that I can't hit the high notes at all. But I can hit those same exact notes perfectly in a different song. So it's like it's how the melodies are structured or what kind of jump you have to do or if you're coming up on the notes or down on the notes. So there's a lot of different factors and how you can transition to your different voices, your head voice, your falsetto, all that. Um, and, and this song, I think, is pretty much right, you know, in his, his range. It suits his voice perfectly, and it features him singing in his ballad voice, his rock voice, at the top of his range. It really covers a lot of for him vocally. Um, I can't imagine having to do this live on a tour. If I were submitting a track, though, for you know an award for Ray's best vocal, this would be one to consider for his vocal ability. All in all, this is a great album opener. In my opinion, whatever that's worth, this is the best opening track since everybody's in showbiz. And in a way... Ray still managed to sneak in some of that musical theater song structure onto this album. But minus the backing vocals and the Dixieland horns, uh, it just comes off as a cool rocker. Because these chords... Oops. Uh, what, what was A? Right, those are kind of musical theater chords. But he still stuck them in there. Um, and it kind of makes you think or, you know, contemplate how much better the reception of his concept albums would have been if this approach were taken to the recording, right? All the music's exactly the same. It's the same storylines. It's the same songs. But instead of going with the background singers in the Dixieland Horn Band, they just wrote, played them as straight ahead rock like they did on the Lola album. 
um, it, it makes you wonder how the reception would have changed. You know, not that I'm dissing the concept albums because some of my favorite songs are on those albums. But had they taken this Sleepwalker approach to those albums, maybe things would have been different. This album, and this is the first um, day of our look at this album. So there'll be more episodes in the coming couple of weeks. But this album holds uh, a special place for me because this is the first LP I owned of theirs. And I think I got it from my grandmother or my uncle or something. It was surprising because they didn't have any other kink stuff in their collection. But they had this one. And I had just recently um, bought the CD for Lola. So I was looking to dig deeper. And this is not my favorite Kinks album by any stretch. It, it kind of falls in the middle for me. But it is one that I've listened to a bunch because I had that LP, you know, when I was late teens, early 20s. So it's a cool one. I like it. Um, there's uh, nobody commenting in our live chat, but I have had some technical difficulties today. So who knows? Um, if anybody's even seeing this, if you're not watching live, there is a uh, where the video should be. I seem to be sitting here on my headphones. I don't know when this picture was taken because I'm not currently wearing headphones. Um, but it is today. I'm glad I wasn't picking my nose or anything when this uh, was taken. So we've had a couple glitches here and there, but I, I am enjoying doing it live. And I hope that you all will join me on Facebook Live five nights a week. Um, you can go to Hero Habit, facebook.com slash Hero Habit, and under the events, you can see the upcoming scheduled ones. I only schedule a couple at a time um, so that I don't overwhelm the, the feed of our followers, but they are all there, and we tend to do them uh, in the evening. All right, if you'd like to get a hold of me, you can reach me at kinksandbeatsaherohabit.com. Uh, call me at 925-494-1739. And of course, you can find us on all the social media. Make sure you subscribe to our YouTube page where all these videos are being archived. Um, and of course, you can comment on, on that platform as well. I will see you guys tomorrow. Thank you for listening or watching. Take care and stay safe.